Well, good morning, and it's good to see you all here. Good to see those. Are not, I don't actually see you online. Maybe I do. No, just kidding. I don't. Uh, good to have you with us, uh, whatever way you're here. And it's good to be back from a week vacation. Uh, Cindy and I were able to take a couple days and go up to uh, Soda's Point and stay in bread and breakfast up there. So that was really nice. So we appreciate the, the time away. And if you are joining us online, uh, you can always download the program or the message guide at CSCC dot website forward slash messages and you can download those and, and have those with you as, as we move along today. Uh, well, we're, I'm very excited about beginning this new series, Margin, Making Room for Life, and the idea that uh, we need space in our life. A lot of us don't have any margin. It's at full capacity, and sometimes even when we're at full capacity, we feel in the inside, even though life is full, life is empty. And this idea of restoring and making room for the important things of life and how we, we do that and how we move through it. Uh, a lot of times uh, we're feeling this way, feeling the way Job said, I have no peace, I have no quiet, I have no rest, and trouble keeps coming. It seems like we just can't get away from it, uh, wave after wave after wave. And some of that for us in today's world is that we just, again, we don't have any breathing space. We're up to capacity. Our margin is non-existence. And our definition for margin for this series is this. It's, there it is. Margin is the space between my load and my limits. And what is our load? What are we carrying? What are we carrying with time commitments, financial commitments, relationship commitments, all those things and many facets of that, when there isn't much space between what we're carrying, what our load is, and our limits, we find that uh, we get really, really stressed out. It really uh, gets hard. Now, um, for me, one of the regrets of vacation or regrets of taking a week off was uh, Cindy was making this meal. She had to make it on Friday, a vacation for, for a family that, she, that was in need, and it was going to be a 10-person meal. And when Cindy often makes meals, some of you may have had this, uh, she makes this thing called chicken divan. And I love this stuff. This is kind of what it looks like. It's got like sour cream. This is tar- horrible when it's this late in the morning, right? Uh, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, rice in there, and there's cheese in there, and there's rich crackers like soaked in butter, stuck in the oven, and nice and crispy. You know what I'm talking about? A little bit of broccoli. Uh, a lot of times when she gives this to somebody, she has it all in the components, and they can do what they want to do. But anyway, so she had to make this meal, and uh, she actually said that uh, I wasn't getting any of it. I'm like, what is up with that? Usually when you make a meal, you know, I get at least a sample. And she said, no, Dave, you've had too much ice cream every single night on vacation. This is not for you. Now, I will have to say that she did eventually make it for some company in the next week. But uh, I felt like this. I felt like this verse in 1 Corinthians, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth on the corn. And I felt like I was treading on the corn and I wasn't getting anything. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because the transportation of this is very difficult. Uh, she always fills it up to the max. And so she wanted me to drive her, which I was glad to do. Uh, we were able to put some of the pieces in the trunk, in the back space, but she was carrying the casserole part. 
and it is juicy and soupy and all this things, and she's putting it in my car, holding it, and there was just no room. So I had to drive really slow, the 6.8 miles I had to take her, and we're driving very slow. One turn, and it would have been overflowing. One bump, and it was just a stressful, stressful ride for me. And somehow she picked up some of the stress, and she wasn't happy about that. But it was stressful for me, and it overflowed, not the casserole, overflowed into her life. And for a lot of us, that is what's going on when we have no margin in our life. We have life at the capacity, and it makes us stressed out. And whatever that area is, finances, time, relationships, we're, you know, commitments, whatever it is, it's up to the limit, and there's no slosh room. I usually like to have a little slosh room. When I get my coffee, I like to have a little slosh room, so if I kind of move a little bit, it doesn't overflow, right? So there's, there's no slosh room in life. And when you and I don't have any slosh room or margin in life, it gets stressed. So over the next six sessions together, we're going to do four before I go on vacation again. What is going on with that guy? And then I'll be back and concluding it. But this idea of margin, making room, I'm hoping, I'm very excited that we'll find that as we try to put some of these tools into our life, apply some of these things, we'll find that we have more margin in our life and life gets a little bit easier. So when that unexpected thing happens, when that bump in the road happens, the casserole doesn't overflow. Whatever is in your life doesn't overflow. Now, Jesus himself lived a life of margin. And if you look and see a day in Jesus' life, it was full. It was up to the eyeballs in some sense, but he never seems rushed. He never seems too busy for people, but he definitely has a plan. So I would like to just read through some of a, a day in a life in Jesus and just kind of get the tone. So Jesus obviously is fully God, fully man. We're going to be celebrating communion in just a little while. But this idea that it, he didn't take his fully God part and like supersede that over his fully human human being part so that he didn't, he had like superhuman being powers and things. I mean, he needed rest just like you and I. He experienced life as a full human being. So when it comes to margin, it isn't like, wow, life is like up to the rim. You know, he's just going little God, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, no problems. He didn't live like that. He had to etch out, um, you know, margin just like anyone else would have to. So we're going to just walk through a couple of these verses uh, from Mark. They entered Capernaum. When they, the Sabbath arrived, Jesus had no time in getting to the meeting place, or he lost no time in getting to the meeting place. That would be Dave had no time. But Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the day there teaching. They were surprised at his teaching, so forthright, so confident, no quibbling or quoting like other religious scholars. We read on, then suddenly, while still in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out, What business do you have here with us, Jesus? Nazarene, I know what you are up to. You are the Holy One of God, and you have come to destroy us. Jesus shut him up. Quiet, get him out of here. And that was, or get out of here. Uh, that was for the, the demon, the spiritual warfare that was going on. Uh, we read on, news of this traveled fast and was soon all over Galilee. Directly on leaving the meeting place, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick, burning up with a fever. They told Jesus. He went to her, took her hand, and raised her up. No sooner had the fever left than she was up fixing dinner for them. 
Just a little side note, it's amazing. You know, women get right back to it. You know, uh, guys, sometimes it takes a little time longer to get back to it and start doing things, but not uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. Uh, we read, on that evening after the sun was down, they brought sick and the evil afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. He cured their sick bodies and tormented spirits because the demons knew his true identity. He didn't let them say a word. And then we get to this like point of the, of the passage for us, this, this significant verse here in verse 35. While it was still night, way before dawn, he's had a busy day the day before, he got up and went out to a secluded spot and prayed. And we see this kind of pace for Jesus. Uh, he just is he's into it. He's living life. He's full. He's available. But then sometimes he isn't available. Uh, we read on, verses 36 to 39. Then Simon and those with him went looking for him. They found him and said, everybody's looking for you. Jesus said, let's go to the rest of the villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. He went to their meeting places all through Galilee, preaching and throwing out the demons. Jumping down to chapter 3, Jesus went off with his disciples to the sea to get away. But a huge crowd of Galileans trailed after them. Also from Judea, Jerusalem, swarms of people who had heard the reports and had come to see, them, see him for themselves. He told his disciples to get a boat ready so he wouldn't be trampled by that crowd. He had healed many people, and not everyone who had, who had something wrong was pushing and shoving to get near and touch him. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all they had done and taught. Jesus said, come away by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was a constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place. Someone saw them going, and the word got around. From the surrounding towns, people went out on foot running and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw the huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart was broken, like a shepherd, or like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. It's interesting. Jesus has this fast-paced life, but he never seems hurry. He never seems out of breath. And again, as I said, he's living fully man in surrender to God, and he seems to have margin and we can see that in his life and learn a lot from him because of that. Now, making room for life or, or margin is not using up all I have, but reserving some of my time, energy, and resources for the unexpected. And there's always these unexpected things, these unexpected financial things, time things. Even last week, I was, uh, uh, had a doctor's appointment, and it was in Geneva, and I knew how long it took me to get there. And uh, sometimes when I do that, I, I wait till the last minute to cruise up there, and I'm preparing for the sermon. I said, hey, wait a minute. Why don't you just leave 10 minutes earlier than you really need? So I left there 10 minutes early and had margin, and I'm driving, and someone's in front of me going a little slower than I think they should, so I'm slamming on the horn. No, I didn't do that. I had plenty of margin, so I just kind of go, oh, no big deal, and, and got there a couple minutes early and sat in the waiting room, and there was no rush. You see, this idea of having margin in our lives uh, just decreases things. It, it decreases um, our stress. 
It, it makes things easier. So when your margin decreases, then obviously the opposite is true. Your stress increases when your things are tighter, and it doesn't have to always be that way. So your stress increases. Also, your relational closeness decreases. Your relational closeness with others decrease because you're just on edge. I know there's times where I'm on edge. I hate to say it, and I'm a little snappy. I'm sure you never do that. But if you're a little stressed out and something isn't unfolding the way you think it should be, you're a little rough on the edges, and your relational closeness decreases. Um, also, your time with God kind of decreases. Oh, I don't have time to get up and spend any time with him. I just, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'll just get an app where they send me a verse a day, and, you know, I'll get my phone to read it on my way to work or whatever. We just minimize that closeness with God because, again, margin has decreased and we just don't have time and we're stressed out and we're also our relationship with others and our relationship with God uh, just uh, gets a little bit frayed around the edges. So this idea of margin and why we need margin is really uh, significant. So obviously I said already early we can learn a lot from Jesus. Uh, We can learn a lot of how to live like Jesus and Jesus must have really applied this uh, verse from Isaiah. Uh, We find him throughout Uh, His ministry, his time, he would quote scripture from the Older Testament because it existed. The scrolls, he would read those. And so I'm sure he was understanding about this. In Isaiah, we read, The Lord will always lead you and satisfy your needs in dry lands. He will give you strength to your bones. You'll be like a garden that has plenty of water, like a spring that never goes dry. Now, some of us who are familiar know that Jesus is the living water and those ideas, but he actually himself had to live it. He was in dry places. Uh, Sometimes people didn't treat him uh, nicely, kindly, or they were just just all over him. Sometimes his disciples were clueless. So here he is working with these disciples. He's leading them, and relationally, in a sense, it's dry because they're they're just not on the same page with him. They're resisting. They're pulling all the time. So Jesus knew that he needed to have margin. He needed, as we saw, have these times with God to slip away, and he needed to plan for them. So as we think about this, and we've already uh, talked about this, Jesus lived an active life. And and I like to use the word active instead of busy, because busy has the idea of being frantic and almost out of control. I'm busy, so I can't do that. We never see that being the reason Jesus doesn't engage in something. It wasn't that his margin was used up and he just didn't have the time, didn't have the resources, but he definitely was a very active person. So as you and I look at the idea of having margin in our life, it isn't an idea that all of a sudden we should have all these pockets of time and not do anything. It's this balance of having margin, so our stress level, so we need to be active and we need to be engaged. And we see time and time again that Jesus fights for this margin. He tries to slip away. Uh, Sometimes people are demanding of his time. He says, no, we need to go do this. I'm sure there was always a need to fulfill. Uh, If he had wanted to, he would never have had time to slip away, never have time to do anything because the, the job was never done. And some of us have those kinds of jobs. Some of us have been in those experiences where it's never over. Some of you who are farming, you could work nonstop. It's never over. Some of you uh, who can take your work home or have been in this time where you've had your work at home, all of a sudden the line between work 
and uh, home is blurred, and now you're working at home and more than you ever thought, and it's blurred. So all these things, uh, you have to fight for margin, and we see Jesus doing that with, again, very early in the morning. I'm sure he was exhausted. He gets up while it's still dark, slides out of the house, and went off to a solitary place uh, where he prayed, where he spent time with God. And again, other portions, we see him sleeping and resting. So it's not that Jesus could never get any sleep. He could only live on three hours of sleep. He was human being. But at the same time, the priority to have God set his pace and set his day was so significant that he needed to slip away and be with him. And because of that, he was often misunderstood. The disciples, you know, kind of are like finding him. And they're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you out here in the woods? Come on, there's people over here that that uh, looking for you. They want to see you. And the disciples are eating this up because now they're popular. Now there's a movement, and they're just getting caught up with it. And uh, Jesus is like, you know, misunderstood. No, this is what I need to be doing now. This is what I need to be doing. And uh, you'll find in your own life, when you try to have margin in your life, you will be misunderstood. When you try to have boundaries in your life, you'll be misunderstood when you let God kind of give you those boundaries, set what you should be doing, you know, not out every single night, not out doing everything, and having those boundaries and those, uh, uh, that margin in your life, that white space. If other people in your life are never confused or frustrated by your choices to do less than you can in order to have margin in your life, chances are you aren't living like Jesus. Sometimes you and I have to say no to even good things. We have to say no to them. Uh, this is going to sound really wild to some of you, but uh, uh, when the kids were young, uh, we had the kids in Christian school, and uh, the Christian school was at the church we were at, so we were at the church all the day. There was Christian school all day, then we were there like all day Sunday, uh, two services and all the activities that went along with that, and large church and, uh, you know, when it came to figuring out the rhythm of everything, uh, they had a children's program on Friday nights. And, you know, I was one of the pastors at the church, and we actually said no to that. And I'd have people going, why aren't you sending your kids to that? I said, my kids are at church, you know, Monday through Friday, all day long. They're learning Bible verses in Christian school, which is, which is great. But they just need a break. We need some space. We need to be home as a family. So Friday nights, we've thought about it, we've said, is not something they're going to be involved in. And so, you know, we took a little heat for that. And uh, there are times where you're going to take heat for having margin. Now, again, the margin needs to be defined in the right things. We're going to see in a few moments how we do that or how we get a little bit in that direction. Uh, but we need, to, we need to understand that that needs to be, uh, again, a part of our life. Then there was this other time that uh, one of the kids, uh, actually Mariah, uh, was doing clogging or Irish step dancing. I don't know if there's a difference between the two. And uh, we kind of felt like this couple because uh, we just kind of heard it all the time. We love the new apartment. The natural light is amazing. Hardwood floors. There is a bit of a clogging problem. Ali's Geico makes it easy to bundle our renters and car insurance. Yeah, helping us save even more. Now, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't clogging, but Mariah was clogging. Now, don't stop and see her and say, can you clog for me right now? Because now then I'm going to be in trouble. So um, 
Please don't do that. But uh, there was this, again, this clogging, this Irish step dancing, and there was pressure to get involved with this. And people were all in. I mean, like, super all in. I mean, the outfits were expensive, the time commitment. Uh, there's this little interview with some young girls that uh, talk about the their interest in clogging. The champions, you're about to go to world champions. What's it been like so far for you? Kate, I'll start with you. It's been a long journey, and it hasn't always been easy. Like, I have to go to dance a lot to work for it. And Grace, talk to me about that training. How much training do you do to, to get to where you are now? Well, I go three times a week, and I also practice at home every day. And it's really hard because, like, you have other activities to do, but you have to go there. And talk to me about how you got into this. Grace, is this a family thing, or...? Um, well, when I was four, I jumped into a parade in Florida. <laughs> That's one way to do it. And I and I and I started copying the dancer in front of me, and uh, I came back here and I started loving Irish dancing, and I've done it ever since. There they go. Now, it's not that I'm anti-clogging, anti-Irish dance. But for our family, the boundary was this was not going to take our family over. Now, some of you may be involved in some things, and that's your choice. That's wonderful. I'm not saying you don't get involved in these things, but there are all kinds of things, if we're not careful, can squeeze out the important stuff. I mean, this, this, I can remember the other families, and, and they were Christ followers. Every Sunday there was a competition. Uh, the, you know, they wanted us to get this fancy, smancy dress. I, it was hundreds of dollars, and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We like that Mariah can do this, but we're not, we're not like, we're not going to become like that other family that I showed you. We're not doing that. We're, 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 we're saying no to this. We're saying no to, you know, every other weekend or whatever, going here and there. Now, again, it's different for everybody, but don't get slid into that. Don't get pressured into those kinds of things. Um, Jesus really was misunderstood by that. Again, this, this mom, I mean, she couldn't believe it. She, you know, Mariah was, I guess, good at it in her mind, and she couldn't believe that we wouldn't, wouldn't keep doing this kind of a thing. Also along with this is that Jesus defined what was the most important. Um, he defines that. He knows that. So as he's filtering in how he builds margin into his life, um, he knows it in principle, he knows it in concept, and then he's slipping away and spending time with God to just reemphasize that, to, to know how he's to function that day. Um, you and I are, uh, know this if we've been following Christ for a little while. Uh, Sunday mornings is not enough. A message on the radio is not enough. We need a daily time in the Word with God, and not just a, a verse on the fly. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to be growing in that, and that's how Jesus was able to see what was important, what his uh, mission was. We read, Jesus answered, we should go to another place. This just was totally foreign to the disciples. No, they like us here. Let's stay. No, we need to go to another place. We need to go to other towns around here. And I can tell God's message to those people too. That is why I came. So as a Christ follower, someone looking at following Christ, once you've said yes to him, you need to kind of figure out what the overall mission of your life is. And for all of us as Christ falls, the overall mission is to point to him, to point to that message that's transformed our lives 
on the inside out. So if we have this overarching mission, our mission, we say it this way as a church, is to make a difference in people's lives. And that's our overarching. All of us, if we're a Christ follower, have that mission. How it gets expressed is different. But we ought to know what our mission is. We need to realize that a good thing can become a bad thing when it squeezes out the most important things. And I know for at least in my life, spending time with him on a regular basis helps me make sure that the good things don't squeeze out the most important things. It's easy to uh, fall into that. It's easy to, to be there. And uh, another translation uh, says Jesus' words this way, we have to go on, the, go on to the surrounding villages so that I can share my message with the people there, for that is my message. And that message for Jesus, again, was to point to the fact that you could have a relationship with God that was going to come through him. In a few moments, we'll walk through communion, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Jesus was going to offer his life uh, for us, and that was his mission. He needed to get the word out. He needed other people to understand that. Um, we have verses. We could look at lots of verses. We'll look at this one. I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expected, life in its fullness until you overflow. And now we need to realize that word abundance isn't like all kinds of stuff and all those kinds of things. A, a health and wealth gospel preacher person might say, you can have all this stuff. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Is He's ha- saying, you can have the best life I have for you with more on the way, with more on the way in eternity. I came so that they can have real and eternal life and more and better life than they ever dreamed of, the promise of the next chapter of life in heaven. So as we begin this series and begin thinking about what it means to have margin in our life, uh, making room for our life, uh, making room for life, uh, we really need to kind of come to terms with, we really need to digest this. And as we're thinking about this, we need to live on less, that stuff, everything, uh, than you have, and you'll always have more room for life, and that's margin. Uh, your casserole dish ought to have two inches around the, the lip, so when there is sloshing, when there are bumps in the road, there's room, there's play for that. Yet most of us will pack all kinds of things in life, so when there is something that happens, financially, relationally, time-wise, there is just no room. So this is really significant. I'm really excited to be teaching this, talking about this during the summer, and I'm hoping that we, as we grapple about this and apply it to our own personal lives, we'll see how we can put it into life so that as we move into the fall, when things kind of start to settle out after enjoying a good summer, we can actually put some of these into practice and make sure that we have enough margin so our stress level does go down, so it decreases. I love what uh, Jesus says about himself. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover life. It's interesting that Jesus, uh, that concept of religion, if you go back in the earlier part of that passage, you'll see why Eugene Peterson puts that in there. In the context, it's that the, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of things, were, were adding all these rules and things onto the people, and, and it wasn't God's intent to do that. And uh, so they were getting burned out on religious expectations that were man-made created. That's why uh, Eugene puts this in there. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And when I read those words, I want that. I'm sure you want that too. It almost doesn't fit with what we sometimes think it means to be a fully engaged Christ follower. But that's what Jesus says, and he offers that to us all. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for being able to look at this and see how your Son, our Savior, uh, lives his life with a rhythm of margin. He was very active, uh, things going on all the time, but he knew how to say no, he knew how to slip away, he knew how to have margin in our lives. And we desperately want the same thing. Uh, we don't want to say no to the things that we ought to say yes to because we said yes to other things. Uh, we want balance. We want to really know your rhythms for our personal individual life. And we're thankful that you offer that to us. So, Father, I just uh, pray for my friends. And if there's anyone here who's still just checking out what faith means, I pray that as we explain communion, they, they might even in their seats say yes to you. And for those of us who have said yes to you, I just ask that our life would be a consistent yes after yes after yes. And that would include knowing where the white space needs to be in our life, where there needs to be margin. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.